Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And thinking about preaching today, I honestly went through several topics, several ideas in my personal time with the Lord and talking with Him about the direction to go and wanted to do something that would in some way impact those that are graduating, that we would be able to talk to those that are experiencing this change in their life cycle, but at the same time speak to all of us. And and I stumbled upon somebody talking about the pitfalls that we have in life. And that word caught my attention. Now, the reason that word probably caught my attention is because the first video game I ever loved was a game called Pitfall. Some of you don't know that one, young or old. It was on the old Atari 2600. How many of you remember that? And there was a game on there that was called Pitfall, and it was a guy in there named Pitfall Harry. And for most of the game, it was a, it was a fun game, but there were certain moments when it was very dangerous. And I remember playing that game because at the time it was the most advanced graphics that you could find. They were horrible. The crocodiles were jagged. And you wanted to make sure that you avoided the pitfalls in your adventure. And as I think about those that are graduating from high school, as I think about those of us that have graduated, some more recently than others, I think about the life that God intends for us to live. And if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that in the midst of living this abundant life to which God has called us, if we're not careful, we can all fall into the pitfalls of life. Amen? And so this morning, what I want to do is take Paul's instructions to young Timothy. Now, I say young Timothy. I don't know how young Timothy was, but he was younger than Paul. So to Paul, he was always young Timothy. And Paul was passing on wisdom about what it meant to pastor a church, what it meant to lead God's people. And what he says to him in this passage is that you have to constantly be aware of what's going on. And so what I'm going to talk to you this morning about is being aware of those pitfalls in life. You see, you since the day that I arrived, I told you that I believe that God wants to, in this church and in your life, do more than you could ask or imagine, more than you could possibly even dream of, and that God intends to do that. In fact, given just you walking perfectly in step with the Lord, I believe that what God would do in your life would absolutely amaze you. But the problem is, we oftentimes trip in our walk. And so this morning, what I'm going to talk about is four things that I think we have to be aware of that are pitfalls in life. Now, let me just say from the very beginning, one of the things that we have to realize, and this is true for those that are graduating high school or college and figuring out what God is going to do with their lives, or for you that are already figured out your career path and are doing what you feel God's called you to do, we have to understand that our first job on this earth is not our job. It's not our career. That the reason that we are on this earth is not to 
fulfill a work environment and to make money and to bring it home. Now, I understand that we have to do that. But the reason we are here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, is to take the most important information in the world and take it to a world that is in need. And so whether you're graduating and figuring out what God's going to do, or you're already in the midst of what God's doing, you have to understand that your first priority is to be the bearer, the keeper, the one that proclaims this most important information in the world. We see in God's unbelievable grace, He saves us. But out of His goodness, He allows us to serve Him. Whatever else you do, you have to remember that it is a high and awesome calling to be stewards of the most important information in the world. So how do we avoid those pitfalls? First Timothy chapter 6. Now, if you've got the NIV, you're going to see that it has the love of money listed there. And while it does talk about money, I think that shortchanges this passage of Scripture. Sometimes you're reading through passage of Scripture and you want to see Okay, I'm looking for certain things, and you would see that and just pass right on by what I think is some very important information. And it actually starts at the end of chapter 2 when Paul is bridging these gaps and says, first of all, that, um, that, that all these things have happened. He gives advice about widows and elders and slaves and different groups of people within the church. And then he says, these are the things you are to teach and urge on them. And so he says, this is kind of the positive side. Make sure you're teaching this. Make sure you're doing this. This is encouraging you. But then in verse 3, he starts to say, but here are some things to watch out for. Verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. Paul didn't mince any words there, did he? I think it's interesting because if you look at a couple of other translations, specifically the New English Bible says that instead of saying that, that uh, he is conceited and understand nothing, it says that he is a pompous ignoramus. I like that. Or another, the message says that he is an ignorant windbag. Now, Paul's words here are translated literally, but they would have had the same force as an ignoramus. I don't really know much about what an ignoramus is. I just know if at Cracker Barrel, you don't get enough of those little pegs off. You know what I'm talking about? The peg jumping game? Okay. Just making sure. If you leave four or five, you're an ignoramus. Not very smart. All right. He is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now let me just say, I don't know, and this is free for you today, if there is a better description of our country today than that we have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels and words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction. That sounds like most of news television today. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we had food and clothing, we would be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Four things that may not be blatantly obvious when we start, but that I hope you'll see that are pitfalls in all of our lives. And graduates, I would say to you, these are pitfalls you're going to have to navigate in the years ahead. First of all, you have to watch out for pride. You know the scriptures, pride goes before the fall. That if you look throughout scripture, what you see is the thing that often got to God's men, especially in the Old Testament, when you look at the descriptions of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, that what you see is they were men that often started well, but pride got in the way. And what he says when he calls these people pompous ignoramus or ignorant windbags, what he says is their own pride has caused them to abandon what they ought to know to be true. I think another word for pride that might hit a little more home to you is stubbornness. Anybody ever known anybody that was stubborn? Don't point, just raise your hand, all right? You ever known anybody that's stubborn? You know, somebody that's stubborn, what they mean by that is they know they're right, And they're not changing their mind about their right, even if evidence proves they're not right, right? Right. And pride is that way. We know what we know. And one of the reasons I thought about this issue with with our young people graduating is, is that many of them are going to walk onto college campuses in the classrooms where men who are very proud are going to tell them what they know to be true. And it's going to be completely different than what we know to be true. And it's not just in college classrooms. It's it's all over the place. You can turn wherever you want and you'll see people talking about. uh, You know, there was the movie that came out recently that I didn't watch, but, but Bill Maher, who is an outspoken atheist that made fun of people that actually believed in religion of any kind. And you have these people that constantly talk about what they know to be true, and yet they're basing it on things that are not true. But what happens when you begin to trust in yourself and believe in yourself and understand yourself and believe in what you believe is that you begin to walk away from your faith. In America recently, we have seen a, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, a mass exodus of people that graduate high school and then just leave the church. Let me tell you what what you can fill your prayer life with over the next few months. Is to pray for these five students. That while there are exciting opportunities on the horizon, they will be leaving this place, and you pray that they don't abandon the faith. 
Because statistics show that a large percentage are abandoned. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. Part of it is the church's fault. We have not instructed them the way they should go. We have not taught them the basics of the faith. We haven't taught them why what they believe is reasonable and true and as logical as anything a college professor can tell them. We haven't told them the factual basis of our faith. And so when they get in other places, they think, I'm not really sure if that's the case. We've done a poor job. Part of it is... The natural thing is to begin to think for yourself. And all that does is leads to empty thinking. I was watching uh, television a little bit this morning on my way here, and part of what I do usually is I just turn on somebody preaching, whoever it is. Sometimes I find hear good stuff that makes for good, good thought process for me, and sometimes I hear bunk. This morning... I was listening, and they were telling this. This pastor was telling the story of a guy he knew that was wealthy and educated and brilliant. And they were talking one day about what he believed, and he had his own thoughts about religion that mixed four or five different religions together. And he said that just works for me. So they were talking through some things, and he said, "So what? What difficulties do you have in life?" And he just began to list off thing and time. event after event, relationship after relationship. And I got through it all. And he says, so tell me, how do you really feel? He says, even though I've got it all figured out, I still feel empty. Pride can lead to a self-assurance that makes us feel empty. Notice what it says there. That these guys that were ignorant windbags, that were conceited and understanding nothing, were people that had taught false doctrines, that did not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and the godly teaching. What we have to understand is that no matter where we are in life, when we begin to abandon the truths of God's Word and what He has set forth as the story of our lives, we are abandoning the best thing we have. Here's the second thing that we have to be careful of. Not only pride that leads us away from Him, but secondly, careless words. Let me just ask you to think about something real quickly. Is there anything in your life that has gotten you in more trouble than careless words? Is there anything in your life that has gotten you in more trouble than careless words. How many of you have ever said something and the moment you said it, you wish you could grab it out of the air and put it back in? Anybody ever done that? How many of you have done that this week? Let me see. Careless words can, can, can just destroy. You know, it's, the, uh, it's James that says that no one has been able to figure out how to tame the tongue. And all of God's people said, Amen. It says that it's like a rudder. It's, it's like something that can steer us completely off course. And what he says here is these men, these proud men, that what happens is they get involved in controversies and quarrels that are envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions. That causes constant friction. And so all of a sudden... You've got these men that not only are teaching the wrong thing, but they're using their words in careless ways that harm and devastate. 
We are to be slow to speak. Amen? Sometimes for preachers, that's really hard. Because God's given us a desire and an ability to speak. And so one of the things that I pray constantly is that God, don't let me say something that's going to cause damage to your kingdom. Now, I don't always succeed there. I I say some things sometimes. But we live in a society now where people, you've got all kinds of avenues to say whatever you want to say. You can talk about it in a community square. You can do your own podcast and put it up on iTunes. Anybody in the world can download it. You can send emails. You can write a blog. You can get on Twitter. You can get on Facebook. You can get all these places and just say things and just carelessly put it out there, and the whole world can see it. It's amazing to me. I I, I am somebody that, that does Twitter and Facebook and some of those social networking stuff. It amazes me what people write on there. Amazes me. Because when you put it on there, it's like you're putting it on the billboard out here in front of the church. Everybody can see it. Read it. And it is amazing how careless we have become with our words. And it's because we have this idea that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? There may be no more statement that is more untrue than that one. Now, I know that's a lot of negatives in there, but that statement is false. Words do hurt more than sticks and stones. Here's the thing I've discovered. If somebody hits me with a stick, it heals pretty quickly. If they hit me with a word, not so fast. Now, some of you in this room are are just careless and you don't mean, but it just comes out. But let me say that there are some in the room, and there are some in every church, and there are some in every group of people that follow Jesus, that you've learned how to use your words to hurt. And one of the pitfalls in life, if we're going to live for the Lord, is that we must be careful with our pride, but we've got to be careful with our words. That doesn't mean we're not bold about our faith. That doesn't mean that we are out there telling people what it means is that we make sure what we're doing is positive and encouraging or convicting from the Holy Spirit. I mean, just look at that list of things. Envy. I want what you've got. I hate you because of what you've got. Strife. Quarreling. Reviling. Malicious talk. Evil suspicions. Always believing the worst. And constant friction. I'll just ask you in your own life, how many of you have ever said one of those things that you wish you could take back and the next few weeks or months or years was filled with constant friction with the person you said it to? I was watching a news report yesterday on um, Farrah Fawcett. I guess apparently she's dying of, of cancer and illness. And this is what I, I was flipping through the channels, and I caught this family member of hers. And they, this family member was just talking maliciously about the rest of the family. And this is what I remember at the end of that interview. They said, do you have any words you would like to say? And I, don't, I can't remember if it was a mom. I, don't, I can't remember if Farrah was the mom or the stepmom to this 
boy, I don't remember. But I just remember him saying, do you have anything you want to say to Pharaoh? And he said, this is what I'd like to tell her. And I just wanted to say, pick up the phone and call. But what it all stemmed back to when you listen was at a birthday party several years ago, people got in an argument and careless words were exchanged. So as you grow in your faith, as you figure out what God is doing in your life, be careful with your words. Here's the third pitfall. Ungodly ambition. Look what it says right there. Verse 5. Constant friction between men and corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, these last two are going to go together, but here's the point, first of all, there is to strive for things that are not in God's plan for your life, no matter how great they seem. Now, I want you to notice, what does he he talks about these people that have these, this pride and this false teaching. But notice what he says. They are men who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. In other words, he's saying these are guys that are living their lives proclaiming God only because they want to make money out of it. In other words, preachers trying to make money on TV, well, not on TV in their time, but using the gospel for financial gain is not a new thing. It's been happening since the beginning. But what Paul says is, you must be content in what God's called you to do and that there is no greater calling in your life than to fulfill God's mission for your life. Whatever that calling may mean. I always love the graduation time because you get to hear what the graduates are going to do and want to become. I I think it's interesting because... Just in the last couple of weeks, we, we heard this morning from our high school graduates uh, what they would like to, to major in. But a few a couple of weeks ago, I guess a week and a half ago on Wednesday night, we heard from the Mother's Day Out graduates what they would like to be when they grow up. And isn't it interesting, the difference between the two? Not one of the Mother's Day Out graduates wanted to major in aerospace engineering. I didn't hear that. I did hear one that wanted to be a superhero. And I mean, you have doctors, you have farmers, you have all those kind of things. But, but it's interesting because we have these ideas of what we want to be. We are to be the best and we're to strive for excellence. But we must understand that any time we have to take shortcuts or we have to get outside of God's will to accomplish anything in our lives, it is ungodly ambition. And that is preached against over and over. Again, ambition in itself is not wrong as long as it's pointed in the right direction. Don't you love verse 7? We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. Now, when I was growing up, my dad used a different version of that. When I got in trouble, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it, right? But the point there is, and this isn't the only place it mentions that, it's in Scripture, in Job 121, where he says, Naked I came into the world, naked I will leave. 
The truth is, when we come, we have nothing. When we leave, we leave it all behind. So material stuff is an important ambition that's not directed towards God. Which leads to the last thing. And that's the pitfall that catches a lot of people. And it's just simply greed. Verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And all of God's people said, Amen. For the love of money, this is one of the most misquoted scriptures in all of Scripture, but it's still powerful. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. The love of money in the root of all evils, it's the a root of all kinds of evil, but it's a big one. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I read last week that they're going to make a sequel to a movie that came out in the mid-80s called Wall Street. And in Wall Street, there's a character by the name of Gordon Gecko who stands in front of a group of people and he says, Greed is good. And while on Wall Street and in that financial world, he explains himself why he thinks it's good, the truth is greed is not good. And what we have to understand is that the principle that is taught over and over again in Scripture is contentment. Philippians 4.13, that famous passage of Scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Used all over the place for getting yourself pumped up to do something big. What that whole verse is about is the passage surrounding it where Paul says, I have had lots, I have had nothing, I have been without need, I have been in great need, but through it all, I have been content in the Lord. I can do any situation because of Jesus Christ. And we live in a country that promises us an American dream where we can have what we want to have and do what we want to do. Let me tell you something. That may be the American dream, but it's not the biblical dream. Scripture teaches us to be content. And I have seen, even in my short time pastoring, but especially in people that I went to high school with and college with, the one thing that has derailed more people in living their lives for the Lord is their desire for money. Let me ask you, adults, how are you handling the pitfalls? How are you handling pride? How are you handling ungodly ambition? How are you handling careless words? How are you handling greed? Perhaps this morning for you adults, this is a time to recommit your life to fulfilling God's calling on your life, not your desire or your will or your plan. Young people, how are you doing? Graduates, how are you doing with the pitfalls? How are you going to protect yourself against it? We need to begin to ask ourselves the question, how are we going to guard against the pitfalls in our lives? The president of our Southern Baptist Convention has a saying that he tells pastors all the time. He says, if you're going to be faithful And if you're going to be used by the Lord, you've got to stay close and stay clean. 
You've got to stay close to the Lord, and you've got to keep your personal life clean. Now, the truth is, if you do the first one, the second one comes much easier. But if you don't do the first, it's almost impossible. And the most important way to avoid the pitfalls in life is simply to stay close in relationship with the Lord. So this morning I ask you, how's your relationship with Him? How's your relationship with the One who has created us, the One who loves us, and the One who desires for us to make a difference in this world? How's your relationship with Him?